We have coffee. Ah, uh, we do. We have a bunny. Oh, hello, caffeine. We have a full tank of gas and half a bag of cigarettes. It's 106 miles to Chicago and we're wearing sunglasses. Something along those lines, yes. <laughs> I retain my geek card. <laughs> yes. Well, it's episode 13. 13. 13. 13. Are you sure? Um, one, two, three, four, three, two, three, four, 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 I know it was harsh. Yeah, I think we've managed. Okay. I don't know what happened to the 13th Legion. Didn't they get discombobulated? I we had know. this discussion last time. We couldn't remember which one the 13th was and we concluded yeah. it was the 13th. I thought I'd got a spot of deja vu. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a glitch, glitch in the Matrix. I go reread. Go re- go reread. Go re-listen to the end of episode 12. We have a whole conversation about this. And you'll be none the wiser once you've listened to it. Probably not, because it's us you're listening I wasn't. to. And I'm, we're none the wiser when we listen to it. I've never been any the wiser. No. Welcome to Frithcast episode 13. 13! 13. 13. Is that joke actually too soon? Um. Did we go yeah. through that last time around? 2,000 years? Yeah, probably a little out of bad taste. Though. Give or take an HBO TV series. Yeah, good plan. Shall we introduce ourselves? We'd better. Because we, we tend to forget until quite late in. We do. Times. So who are you? Well, that's a good question. That's fairly deep and fairly philosophical, but for now I'll stick with I'm Suzanne. Okay, well done. Ta-da! That's excellent. Um, I'm Kate, but I'm in fact some random passing druidy sort. Not, well... Well, not entirely random. And not technically passing? No. We thought for the 13th episode of Frithcast, we would talk about a... A very peculiar object in the British Museum. Now it's fairly well known for having a whole collection of fairly peculiar objects, but this is very distinctly peculiar in all manner of ways. Mm. Um, You're still going to have to narrow it down a bit. I am. It's a casket, by which I mean a box, not a coffin. Yeah, yes, it's true. about, I don't know, it's about 11 inches by 8. Something it's quite, those lines. quite small. Yeah, yeah. So it's made of four panels for four sides, a base and lid, which would have originally been hinged on and had a locking mechanism at the front. Um, You might have gathered for it being 8th century, it's a bit tattier now than it was. Indeed. And some some bits of it we don't have anymore. But then there is that sock. Oh, it's an awesome sock. Yeah. Ancient Egyptian Egyptian sock. sock. Ah. You know, so still with the colours in it mm. and you can see the stitching and it's beautiful it's quite impressive I will put the link to the child's sock <laughs> for 
from Egypt yep. into the description like we usually do. Oh, does this mean I've got power? I can just keep naming archaeological artefacts and you'll have to keep putting links in. Yes, I will. So please don't okay. because I don't want to kind of talk about... No, <laughs> God, no. Always call it the Scottish play. Shall I let you get on with yes. your thing about your box? Please. Okay. Can I get on with him about my box? Now? Carry on about okay. your box. Okay. So this is a very special box. It's called the Frank's Casket. So I want to talk about the Frank's Casket because I can do that. <laughs> um, you has power. I has the power. I want to start by <laughs> telling you where it got its name from. Now you might think with the name of the Frank's Casket. Is it the Franks? No. The Frankish people. The people of. Frankia. No, oh. it's not. But I can see why you would think that. Um, it's actually named after the chappie who got hold of um, most of the panels, uh, five out of six, and donated them to the British Museum. And his name was Sir Augustus Franks. Augustus Franks. So it's called the Franks Casket. Okay. It can also be known as the Auzon Casket because it came... He picked it up in Auzon in France. So occasionally you might see it referred to as the Auzon casket, but mostly it'll be referred to as the Frank's casket. Okay. Now you'll notice there that I said it only had five of the panels, and you'll think, hang on a minute, it's a box. It should have six. I'm thinking back, I'm thinking back. Yeah. But yes, you're yeah. right, cuboids. Yeah, cuboid shape, give or take. Should have six panels. Mm-hmm. But he only donated five. Right. So the right-hand panel, when you're looking at the front of it, the original right-hand panel, it's broken. It comes from a family in Auzon in France. Okay. And somewhere along the way, it gets dismantled into six panels rather than a box. Right. And so he gets hold of five of those panels from a Paris dealer. The sixth panel is actually in the National Museum in Florence. Oh, wow. So we know where it is. We know exactly where it is. Well, that's something. The sixth original panel is in Florence, and they, they've got a replica of that that they're showing with the original five panels in the British Museum. Okay. So inside a tip, you can look at that right-hand panel in the British Museum and know that it's a complete. it's been replicated to look like the original, which is still in Florence, where Come we've on. got five of the panels, they've got one of them. I know, I know we're not on the best of terms with Europe at the moment, but is there not... A way that they can get together and and you know have some sort of a, a, a sort of a, a conflab, you know a, a kind of a, get round a table. Yeah. Hammer out a solution package. They did that. They gave us a replica panel. I want to talk about the panels itself because each of those panels, the four sides and the lid, so five the five panels because the base doesn't have anything on it on account of it's underneath. Um, are very heavily carved and decorated. Now the skill and craftsmanship that's gone into something that's very, very small, bearing in mind that if you make a mistake on a panel, you have to start the whole carving all over again, Yeah, is just, it, it's incredibly detailed. Mm. The panels that are there have got scenes from Roman Christian pasts, Jewish pasts, and Germanic legend. Okay, so it's a bit of a multicultural it's, affair. Yeah, it's kind of like the duck-billed platypus of the <laughs> casket world. It, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and enigmatic is a word that crops up more than once when you're reading 
descriptions of this well, thing. Well, enigmatic is a good word, in fairness. Yeah. If you look at the inscriptions, because it's all of the panels have uh, artwork generally in the centre of the panels, and they have a runic or they have an inscription board around them. Mm. So you'd think that with so many different cultures being represented in the artwork, that the languages would be one language. Yeah. One script. They're not. They're four different scripts. And in one case, there's four different scripts being used in one of the inscriptions. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's just a mess. So I can imagine, you know, a, a sort of Northern European uh, story or account. I can imagine a, a, a Christian piece. I can imagine a Jewish piece. Mm -hmm. But surely they would want to have uniform communication. So that... No. <laughs> no. You've got some stories if you look at the frank's casket as a very early comic it's okay. a comic strip a graphic novel but all the stories are one panel right that's how you can read it that's how you can read what's going on with the panels so it's like uh what did you say eighth century yes so yeah. it's an eighth century far side cartoon yeah with more far than side <laughs> and few, uh, fewer cows how are we for cows so you, I, there's a horse <laughs> Actually, there's quite a few. No, well, there's... there's definitely one horse. There's a goose on one panel. A horse and a goose? You can make a far-side cartoon out of a horse and a goose. That's yeah, fine. They're, they're right in there, really. Yeah, um, no two of the panels are... They know our Germanic scenes, mm. but they don't know what legends they relate to. Okay. They're obviously um, a bit like... If I say to you, oh, it's Red Riding Hood... You've got a particular image in your head about what she looks like, what the storyline is, and what the major characters are. And her granny snowboarding down a mountain. Oh, God, yes. <laughs> <sighs> so, no, not Triple G, but the other granny. And okay. if you read the originals, then you've got a very different ending to the one that gets read now. Yes. But, sorry, slightly what's it aside, but if you drew... A picture of a young girl with a red hood and a red cloak on, mm. carrying a basket through a forest and a wolf sneaking up on her, you would know that that was Red Riding Hood. Yeah, it's, it's an archetypal... Got, yeah, but you've got that cultural knowledge to know that when you see a single image, it will give you all of that backstory. Okay, yeah. The difficulty we have is we have two single images and no idea of the backstory. Okay, yeah. Makes it slightly tricky. Mm. So we've got the... The right-hand panel... <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just redo that bit, shall we? Oh, it's all right. Leave it in. Okay. That right-hand panel, again, mm -hmm. and the lid are the two unknown Germanic scenes that we don't know what they're representing. But okay. everything else is very, very well-known. So we don't know whether those two are also well-known and we've just lost the knowledge of them. So this is the Northern European... Yeah, I want to say Norse or, or Germanic or mm. whatever, Anglo-Saxon cultures tended to be really good at writing things down. They did. Well, certainly in the case of the lid, parts of it are missing. Ah. We've only got... They had sort of um, boards, if you like, that they would pin three together to create the width they needed for the lid. Mm. We've got the top and bottom board of that are missing, and we've only got the middle board left. Okay. So any inscription that was with that has gone. The other in uh, the other panel, the right-hand panel, has got an inscription on it. We have no idea what it relates to. They okay. can translate it. Right. 
they just don't know what the story is that it's it's telling. It was obviously a mnemonic for a, a very well-known tale, but we don't have any evidence of that now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, the other two panels, you've got the founding of Rome with Romulus and Remus, suckling right. from a she-wolf. Okay. And you've got the destruction of Jerusalem. All right, so that's a couple of very much Roman period... Roman Christian... Yeah. I mean, that's, that's like the beginning of Rome and... I don't want to say fairly close to the end, but it's got to be around about the the transition to the imperial period. <clears throat> mm, I'm trying yeah. to think when the sack of Jerusalem was. Which one? Well, yeah, granted. <laughs> the panel showing the destruction of Jerusalem, that's the panel where it's got four scripts in one inscription. Okay. So it's got letters in Latin, in runic, in Old English, and in an insular script as well, inside one inscription. So how plausible... Is it that one person at the time this casket was cut would have had knowledge of all those scripts? Fairly, if they're coming from a monastic background, an educated background. Okay. There are theories that it's a Christian monk craftsman. Now, he's using a Northumbrian, 8th century Northumbrian dialect okay. in the pieces that translate to Old English. And he's also using an eighth century, early 8th century art style. Mm. Those two point to either the box coming from Northumbria or the craftsperson coming from Northumbria. It doesn't necessarily have to be both because they move. Yeah, yeah. Not boxes on their own unless they're from Discworld and they've got legs. I was gonna, I was just <laughs> gonna say, yeah, yeah. Hundreds yeah. of little legs. Hundreds of little legs. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm never gonna look at the Frank's casket the same way. <laughs> but it's the front panel that okay. I want to really have a talk about. So you've got a whistle-stop tour of what the rest of it looks like. Yeah. But the front panel is the one that fascinates me the most, not just because it's on the front. The front panel has some damage where a lock has been, okay. right in the centre. And the panel, the, the entire front of the casket is split into two, and I'm going to deal with the right-hand side of it first. The right-hand side has the adoration of the Magi at the stables at Bethlehem. Okay. So you have three decidedly Germanic looking magi because they've got the long cloaks and they've got the trousers and they've got the 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 big cloak pins. You can see the big spike cloak pins coming up over their shoulders and the hair's quite long as well. So they're, they're very decidedly Germanic wise okay. men coming to pay homage to um, baby Jesus. All right. You have a stable and you have Jesus and Mary in the stable. They both have halos. Okay. Just in case you haven't got it all, there's a star above the building. Right. So um, we've so got <laughs> we've got the essential ingredients there. You've got the whole thing, but from the, that imagery, you then get the whole story. Well, it's like you were saying you with know it. Red Riding Hood. Yes. Yeah. You, you you end up knowing the story, and just in case you really really don't get it, the carver has um, inscribed the word Magi above the three men. Okay. In the tiniest, small amount of space that he's got left on this very busy part of the <clears> panel. So if you look around the edges of that front panel, yeah. the wording that's there doesn't relate to either of the two scenes. <laughs> that would be the cat. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I go spifflicate the cat. <laughs> oh, ah, we'll have to. We'll, if the spifflication, we'll have to put a higher rating on this. We will. Rated cat spifflicatory. Mm. We're recording here, cats. You, you know better. You can't go out. It's the middle of the night. 
Can't go out. Is it the middle of the night or are we recording this in the, in the daytime? I'm not sure, to be honest. Or early evening Ooh. around a roaring fire in the woods. Ooh. Quite why the woods are echoing like a kitchen, we still haven't established. It's, but... it's yeah, it's the the magic of radio. Indeed, yes. Yes, yes. special effects. So Brought to you at no, ex- no spared expense. If I stand on your shoulders yeah. and then you stand on my shoulders, I'd like to see them do that on television. <laughs> <laughs> the inscription round the outside of that front panel doesn't relate to either of the images, either of the stories that's there. Well, now that's complicated. This whole thing is complicated. (laughs) It's written in... The outside inscription is written in runic, translates to Anglo-Saxon. Okay. So at least it's only translating... It's in one script, translating to another language. Fantastic. But it's an Anglo-Saxon riddle. Riddling in the Anglo-Saxon kingdom, or being able to know riddles, is a huge pastime. Okay. For Anglo-Saxon people. And I, I, and I know this because, um, uh, again, pop culture comes to my rescue, but I know this was a thing in Anglo-Saxon tradition because that's why Bilbo and Gollum riddled in yes. The Hobbit. They do. In the mountain. The Out of the frying pan and into the fire. That's right. A chapter. They were asking, they asked <laughs> each, other, each other riddles and whoever wins. I think Bilbo wins, he gets... Gollum has to show him the way out. Yeah, and if Gollum wins, he gets to eat Bilbo. Yes. Yeah. So it's um, riddling in the Anglo-Saxon world is a huge, big pastime. Mm. So this is a riddle, and it's about the box itself. Okay. And the riddle goes, The fish beat upon the sea onto the mountainous cliffs. The king of terror became sad when he swam upon the shingle. Okay. So, and if you really don't get what the answer is, it gives you the answer. I'm I the riddle itself. It gives you the answer on there as well. Well, I mean the image, <laughs> the imagery there of, is what did it say? What kind of fish? The fish. Oh, the fish. Yeah. The king well, of terror yeah. became sad when he swam upon the shingle. Might give you a better clue. Yeah. So it's, it, it relates to something beaching. Yes. Whales tend to beach. Yes. And I happen to remember. It's whalebone this is made from. It is. It's panels of whalebone. Mm. So just in case you don't know what the answer is, they've written whalebone. Whalebone? Oh, that's, that's helpful. It's, it's very helpful. It's okay. very handy. So um, just just in case you wanted to feel clever yes. by guessing it, yes. you can't because somebody would go, well, it's written right there. It's written right there. Um, more complicated. More complicated. <laughs> Too much complicated. There's a lot of complicated. There is. Here. There's a lot of complicated. We we'll go back to the front panel. Okay. We now know that the right-hand half of that front panel is the adoration of the Magi, mm. of Jesus in the stables at Bethlehem. Okay. The left-hand side of that panel is, you can almost read it as a story, as you would do a cartoon or a graphic novel, mm. one-panel story. Um, the left-hand panel has four figures and actually has four and a half, now I think about it. If you look at the left-hand figure... Hang on, sorry. Four and a half figures. I'll get to it, don't worry. Okay. <laughs> I'll get to why there's only four This and a sounds half. good. Yeah. The left-hand figure is holding a pair of tongs, and he's got what looks like uh, an apron on, and he's facing towards the centre of the box, and he's got one leg that's bent underneath him and one leg that's straight. Okay. This is the representation of Wayland the smith. Right. Who makes extraordinary weaponry and and lots of very very shiny things and the whole panel 
is telling you the story of Wayland the Smith. There's a king, and he wants Wayland to make him some shinies, okay. being a blacksmith and knowing the ways of it. Yeah. And Wayland says, no, thank you, I'd rather not. So the king breaks his legs and sticks him on an island with a forge and says, you will make me shinies. That's... Hence, the left-hand figure has a bent leg, one, okay. that's, one that's crooked and bent underneath him, so you can see it. So that represents the fact that Wayland has a broken leg. Mm. Wayland is not best impressed no. with this ideal. So Which is understandable, really. Yeah, kind of, you know, you're just doing your thing and smithing away. And, and some upstart king comes along and breaks your leg. And... Yeah, and sticks you on an island where you can't get off. No. Not so a... the king's son takes to visiting Wayland. Okay. And Wayland befriends him and they chat and they talk and do all other kind of things and they, you know, Wayland teaches him stories and he comes he comes to spend quite a lot of time at the forge. Yeah. And the king's daughter and her handmaiden also go to the island for conversation and and you know, generally talking to this guy who's stuck out there on his own. Yeah. Wayland cultivates these relationships and the way you say that makes me think. Yeah. Cultivates, you know, yes. it's like, yeah, that's yeah. not a good word. Well, no, <laughs> it's not a promising. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Do tell. If you look at the next two figures going towards from the edge of the box going towards the lock, you'll see two ladies, and this is the king's daughter and her handmaiden, and she's one of them is reaching out for what Wayland's got in the tongs which he's offering to them. Okay. And behind him, you can see his anvil, and some of his blacksmithing tools are hung up on the wall. Yeah. He's got the king's son drunk one day, right? And killed him. And the oh. reason I've said four and a half is because the king's son's decapitated body you can see under their feet at the bottom of the image. <sighs> yeah, even worse, he's uh. taken the king's son's skull and fashioned a cup out of it. And that's what he's offering in his blacksmith tongs oh, that's for the king's fair. daughter. Oh, that is some Game of Thrones stuff right there. It is there. right there. Now, if you really, really look close, you can see between the tongs that this cup has a big grizzly smile across the front <laughs> of it. <laughs> yeah, because he was delighted at that. Yeah. Well, well Wayland was. It just seems such a waste. I mean, he spent all that time teaching him stories. Yeah, and gaining his friendship until the day he got him drunk. And killed him. Okay, fair enough. Okay. So, Seems like a lot of investment is all I'm saying. He Well, he offers the king's daughter the cup of wine made from her brother's skull, which she doesn't realise. Right. She and her handmaiden both drink from, get very drunk. In the polite version, they just get drunk. Right. In the not polite version, that's it not get, all that happens. It Game of Thrones again, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I, that's just kind of be kind of be a, a, a Game of Thrones kind of yeah. yeah. That's just going to be kind of our password from now on. That happens. Yeah. The last figure on the panel, you can see just under the damage where the lock would sit. There's a smaller male figure. Okay. And he is strangling geese. As you do. And he's got there's one down by his feet and he's got one up by the neck. Um, this is his Wayland's brother. Right who strangles geese and plucks their feathers and creates two pairs of magical wings. 
I'm sorry for for some reason I've just got the name of Dame Celia Molestrangler in my head. Yeah, no. No. Go away moles. from that. Not moles. Gooses. No. Gooses. Magical wings. Is it mooses or mises? Mooses, mises. <laughs> Something. Mooses. Yeah. Okay. No more coffee for you. Okay. Okay. So he makes two pairs of magical wings and he okay. puts one pair on and flies over to the island and gives the other pair to Wayland and the pair of them fly off to freedom. Yeah. And this is the whole tale of Wayland the Smith. A happy if bloodstained ending. Yes. Well, it's all told in that front panel in four and a half people reading it from the left-hand side to the right-hand side. You can read the whole story in that sections. Is, that is quite impressive. It is quite. I love the front panel of the Frank's Castle. Mm. It's fabulous for that. And so, these, and, and, <clears throat> and what strikes me is you've got these two scenarios existing side by side on the same panel. Yeah, relating to two completely different stories. Two completely different faiths, two completely different world outlooks. Yep. Yeah. It's plus the founding of Rome, the sacking of oh, Jerusalem, yeah. Yeah, plus of two other Germanic ones that we can't read. Mm. So are they have they picked out I mean they have picked these scenes deliberately because these are the scenes that are carved, but have they placed them deliberately? Mm. You know, are they juxtaposed like the front panel? The Anglo Saxon one is very violent. The adoration of the Magi is very peaceful. You've got the founding of Rome, but then you've got the destruction of Jerusalem. Mm. And the two others we can't read, which would possibly give us an answer as to what, why the carver had placed those scenes on particular panels. Yeah, that... Whether that's... they'd put opposite ones. But the front panel is... It's an odd one because that's the only panel where the it's split into two... Mm. cells if you like and shows two different stories every other panel is a single story per panel mm. but that one the front one is two stories so do we take it then that these two mystery scenes are they're forever lost or is the i would like to think not mm. but you don't know i mean it, it is feasible that the other parts of the casket that are missing there's two narrow strips off the lid yeah. would have an inscription on it. Mm. What are the likelihood of finding those? What are the likelihood of finding those now? Mm. It's possible, but given the fact that it's 8th century, if they've not been in decent storage, I don't know what guarantee you've got no. of being able to read them now or being able mm. to have them now. And why did they take the box apart in the first place? Yeah. yeah you know, the family in Amazon in, in France put it down to six panels, was it so they could transport it easier? That would was be the first so thing they could come to hide it somewhere? Was it <clears throat> so for could, some reason? So they could store it somewhere? Or yeah. yeah, but they took it up, they, they panelled it down, they took it apart. Mm. And the metal fittings that were originally on it are now lost. Okay. So that includes uh, the hasp and the uh, a lock space and the uh, like little metal brackets that would fit on the corners and fit the whole panel together. Mm -hmm. The British Museum actually does a replica of the box. I was just going to say, has somebody done a, has somebody done a, oh, it's a like a rebuild of what it would have looked yes. like? Yeah, they yeah. have. Although when it came to the lid, you've got a difficulty because you've got two panels that are completely you've missing. You've got blanks, yeah. You've got a blank. The British Museum has the Frank's Cassia. It's on display. 
But if you know you can't get to go and physically see it, they have about 40, 45, 46 photographs of it online. Okay. Plus descriptions, so you can study it. So we'll put the link into the description like we usually do, mm -hmm. along with the the link to the British Museum shop where the replica of the finished casket is sold. I'm not suggesting you go or go out and buy one. Heavens no. Heavens no. But it does give you an idea of what it looked like mm. when it was actually all shiny new and looking pretty awesome. Yeah. So I think we'll leave it there for today. Okay. Bit of a random episode looking at the Franz casket, which is 8th century Anglo-Saxon Northumbrian, but would have definitely had... Hiccups? Thank you. Yes. It's... Hundreds of little legs. <laughs> <laughs> I am never going to look at the Frank's casket the same nope, way again. Definitely not. It's going to be wrong. Technically, although it isn't from Scandinavia, it's from a culture that interacted hugely with the Middle-aged Scandinavians. Hmm. So I think for me, especially that, yes, the runic inscriptions are in there in the Anglo-Saxon runic alphabet, but I think it's worth knowing about yeah. from my point of view, because I'm kind of biased. <laughs> and I really do love it and it will forever remain an, an, an enigma I mm, think mm. the delicious thing is we're never going to know and that creates such a sense of wonder and I think it's almost like the finding out kind of is almost disappointing in a way good but disappointing I suppose because, so I mean you know there's such a sense of wonder <clears throat> of what was it where did it come from yeah before Sir Augustus Franks bought it from a Parisian dealer who traced it back to a family in Auzon in France. Hmm. Where had it been? Where was it then? Where was it? Between the 8th century, potentially in Northumbria, and France. Yeah. Where did it go? Why, how, why, why did it go all the way to France and end up in possession of this family? Yeah. How did that happen? And, you know, fabulously, we're never going to know. Yeah. Love that part of it. I, you see, I've, I... I find that very frustrating because I want to know. I want to know as but well. Having but said that, I quite like not knowing too. <laughs> having said that, often, often I find that I desperately want to know something, and then uh, I desperately want to know something, and then when I do find it out, I'm disappointed because yeah. it's not more interesting. It's not more interesting than what your head's kind yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. Well, exactly. in this case, it's it's a fair big mystery. Hmm. Aliens. Quite possibly. Probably aliens. So on that note, we'll leave it there. On the note of aliens. On the note of... Yeah, thank you, Kate. Okay. <laughs> On the note of aliens, we'll leave Friscast there. Friscast number 13! 13! 13! Too soon? Okay. <laughs> we'll leave it there, okay. and we will talk to you all next time so if you would like to find me online my name's Suzanne you can find me on Facebook and on Twitter and if you want to find me the best way to do it is probably to look on Facebook and search for Kate Coldwind and it will take you to an account called Kate Martin which is me it's a long story and I'll, I'll tell you all about it one day one day one day there you go yeah one last thing before we go if you like these episodes let us know mm. if you really like them we are Suzanne and Kate. Mm -hmm. If you don't like us, we're um, Penny and Matilda from the post office. And we'll <laughs> see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye.
Looks like it's just you and me then, recorder. Viewers. Viewers. Listeners. Sorry. Yes, listeners. Um, so what can I tell you about while, while Suzanne's out of the room? I don't know, really. I'm not an expert on, on, on archaeology. Um, I know a bit about astronomy, uh, which is not really probably what you're here for. But uh, I can... What did I learn about? Oh, no, it wasn't astronomy. It was Star Wars. I learned a thing about Star Wars today um, where apparently the... Um, I can't remember his name now and I feel really bad. The guy who played Chewbacca. Um, I wanted to say Anthony Daniels, but he was C-3PO. Anyway, the guy who played Chewbacca. Apparently when they were filming Star Wars, he was speaking all his lines in English. As was R2-D2. Um, so actually, if you uh, can get hold of the original script or whatever, he's actually got lines in English and you can understand what he's saying. So I, that was quite interesting, I thought. Uh, you may know that. You may just think it's the dullest thing you've ever heard. And in any case, Suzanne's back now, so I shall stop talking. Hurrah. And we'll go back to... Um, what have you been talking to them about? Um, astronomy. Well, it, was, well, it wasn't astronomy. It was Star Wars. Oh, awesome. Basically. How did I miss a whole discussion on Star Wars? No, I was just, I was just, well, I mean, I'll tell, do you want me to tell you again what the fact was? I found, yes, I discovered okay. a fact. Okay. The fact about Star Wars was, um, if, uh, when they recorded the original Star Wars, uh, the, the guy who played Chewbacca? Yes. Whose name I can't remember. Peter. Peter Mayhew. Mayhew. Yes. Peter Mayhew. Thank you. Peter Mayhew was speaking his lines, Chewbacca's lines in English. He actually had dialogue. Okay. And then they dubbed over it afterwards with the the the, the hooting and <laughs> that, yeah. So if you can actually find the original script or a, a copy of the original recording, he's got he's actually got he's actually speaking lines, and you can understand what Chewbacca is saying. Okay. Oh,